0: Good morning, Steamtown. Would you please stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 3. We'll be reading from verse 22 to 25. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that was what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Thank you. You may be seated. Promises. You ever? Uh, you ever make a promise? I've, I've made promises like like today, I promise I'm going to keep this, this sermon short. You ever break promises? I've never done that. Have you ever made a promise you did not keep? In other words, a, a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will... Happen, ever ever break a promise like uh, like that guy, Homer. The kids, you promise to take us to the lake. I promise you kids lots of things. That's what makes me such a good father. Lisa says, "Actually, Dad, keeping promises would make you a good father." Homer replies, "No, no, no, no. That would make me a great father." I mean, we've all made promises we didn't keep. Like, my goal for 2020 is to accomplish the goals of 2019, which I should have done in 2018, because I promised them in 2017 and planned them in 2016. You just look around, it's like broken promises everywhere. I promise i i 'll text you back as soon as I can. I promise i 'll do everything I can to make you happy. I promise that i 'll share my food with me with you like look that's that's never going to happen in our marriage i 'm not sharing my food, you know like if you want a whopper, Kelly, get a whopper i'm not splitting the whopper in in half Broken promises. Everywhere. Would you agree with that premise? Now, now, at this point, you're probably thinking, Oh, Dennis is a pastor. He's got God's word open. At this point, you're probably thinking, I'm going to say something to this effect. But, but God is nothing like that. God never breaks a single promises. His promises are 100%. We get sick... We get the flu, we get tired, we get flat tires, we make excuses, we get distracted, we forget, we break promises, but God never breaks a single promise. Unlike humans, God never changes in his person. He never changes in his character. We change our minds. We get more information. Our situation changes, but God doesn't decide to do something, and then a thousand years later, be like, oh, that was a bad decision. I guarantee you, that's what you probably think I'm going to say, and I just said it, but let me take it a step further. If that's true, And it is that God never breaks a single promise. How can I, how can you, how can we claim God's unchanging, amazing, awesome promises in our lives? I mean, check out Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. If you haven't already turned there. Please turn to Galatians chapter 3. It's page 944 in the church Bible. Check check out Galatians 3 starting in verse 15. The writer starts off here that God's promises are unchanging. Check it out. The Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters. Now, Now if you go back to verse 1, Galatians 3 and verse 1. How does, he, how, how does he refer to the church of Galatia? He says, you foolish Galatians. Fourteen verses later, he kind of softens a little bit. He's like, all right, I've called you foolish. Now I'm referring to you as brothers and sisters. These, these are terms of endearment. The apostle Paul here says, let me remind you of something. But well, what do you want to remind us of, Paul? Let me remind you of how a legal promise works in everyday life. Look, look at the text. It says, Paul says, let me take an example from, from everyday life, from planet Earth, from the legal system. He says, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, a human promise that has been duly established. Even more, the Apostle Paul says, so it is in this case. So it is in the case of promises that are made by God. So Paul's like, look, you lawyers out there, you guys know all about legal Agreements. Okay, We see this a lot of times when it comes to a marriage, buying a car, or buying a house. Paul's like, consider those type of legal agreements. Once a human covenant has been established, no one, no one, no one at the human level can set it aside or add to it. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is straight up, a deal is a deal. That's the nature of legal things. A deal is a deal. It's unbreakable. It's permanent. And Paul's like, just like that. Or, 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 or maybe there's a tinge of of, of sarcasm in, in Paul's writing here. Paul, might, Paul might be like not only just like that but even so even more so is it in the case of a divine promise a divine covenant a divine agreement case in point well look at verse 16 Paul's like I want you to think of one promise in particular I want you to think of the promise that God made to Abraham. Think of God's promise to Abraham. Look, look at the text. Verse 16 says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and to his descendants, or you could put the word offspring in there. Well, what was the promise that God gave To Abraham, well, in Genesis chapter twelve, God made a promise to Abraham. He says, "You're gonna, you're gonna have a child." Do do you know what the only problem was? Abraham was like a hundred years old. It was an impossible situation. In fact, and this is such a sensitive issue to some. Sarah couldn't have kids. This this was a, on a human level, such a far out there promise that God was making to Abraham. But God made a promise, see? God made a promise. And do you know what a promise requires? Only one thing. A promise requires faith. Not obedience, but faith. A promise requires faith. That's, that's Paul's entire point here. A, a promise requires faith. Faith is the evidence, the science the evidence of the unseen. What a promise will cause you to do in your heart, it'll cause you to say, okay, am I going to believe God's promises or not? Am I going to believe God's word or not? I mean, have you ever read one of God's promises in the scripture and you thought, man, that sounds awesome, that sounds wonderful, But here's, like, where I'm at in my life, and it would be miraculous if that promise applied to me. You know, often um, the hardest moments in in, in my life um, are are believing God's word during difficult times. Do Do you find that to be true? During hard times, And, and I start to get, get anxious and, 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 and I start to doubt. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, I love this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. For he who promised is faithful. In other words, Abraham, people of Scranton, <laughs> trust him. Trust his promises. He's steadfast. He's your protector forever. See, what a promise does is it requires that we believe that the person who is making the promise is true. And that everything that this individual has said, will said, will come to pass. Look at, look at verse 16 again. The text says the promises were spoken to Abraham. In other words, Abraham It's going to happen. And to his seed, singular. Look at verse 16. Scripture does not say in Genesis chapter 12, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but the promises were spoken to Abraham and to your seed, and to a descendant of Abraham, singular meaning one person look, look at the text who is Christ so 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 what you have here in galatians 3 is that god makes a promise to abraham in the year 1921 bc that jesus will Come. See, see, this is what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. God made a promise 2,000 years before Jesus came that Jesus is going to come. But Abraham had no children. Sarah couldn't have kids. But Abraham believed God. Isn't that an incredible definition of faith? I mean like seriously believing in God when it seems impossible. Believing in God when it seems impossible. Are you in an impossible situation right now in your life? Are you going through a hard time? Now, now the lie is when you're when you're in your good times, the lie is that you don't need the promises of God any more than when you're in, in the bad times. Man, God's pro- This is why it is so important to de- devour God's word. I mean, I've heard um, there's upwards of 30,000 promises in God's word. 30,000 promises in God's word. Abraham's like, look, God made a promise, it seemed impossible, Jesus ultimately came. God's promises can't be broken. The Apostle Paul says in verse 16 that Jesus was the ultimate, singular fulfillment of the promise. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus was the ultimate, singular descendant of God. Abraham, I mean, this promise was so epic in in, in the Old Testament scriptures before Christ came. It was so longed for and so epic. I mean, think of how the New Testament starts. What is the very first verse in the Gospel of Matthew? You can just see the, the angelic choir just singing this and announcing this. This is the genealogy of God's promise. ...the Messiah, the son of who? David, the son of Abraham. He's the ultimate singular descendant of Abraham. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15... ...that Jesus would come. God made a promise in Genesis. Isn't the scriptures amazing? I mean seriously. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 12... To bring salvation, not through many people, but through one descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And do you know, ultimately, what that promise required on Abraham's part? And what that promise required on the people of Israel? One thing. Faith. That's Paul's entire point. If you back up. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, quote, is a quote from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God, believed the promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, a promise requires faith. So take one of the 30,000 promises in God's word. One of four things will happen when we interact with a promise of God. You know, there's been um, times in my life where I needed God's presence. You know, theologically, I know that, this is a goofy word, but I know that God is omnipresent. I know that God is everywhere, that he is not in creation. He is separate from creation, but very active and involved in every one of our lives. I know that. But when you experience hard times, one of four things... Are you going through some hard times? One of four things will happen when you interact with a clear promise of God's word. Either your heart will be filled with fear. Like, like I'm, not, I'm not trusting God right now. That, that's what fear is. Or your heart will be filled with futility, which is doubt. Like, I know this is a promise in God's word, but I'm starting to doubt you right now. Or your heart will be filled with flesh, which is works. You know, maybe I'm not doing enough for God. Maybe I need to do more for God. Maybe he'll love me more if I do more for him. Fear, futility, flesh, or faith. Which is that moment where you say, you know what God, I'm going to trade my fear, I'm going to trade my futility, I'm going to trade my flesh, and I'm going to totally trust in the promises of God. I cannot think of a better scripture, cannot think of a better scripture, um, where there is a clear promise than John chapter 3 and verse 16. If I knew of a clearer scripture, I'd bring it before you. What I want to do for one second is I want you to think about the promise of John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I want you to take it a step further. I want you to think about what it requires of you. What is our response to one of the clearest promises in God's word? And it never gets old for the unbeliever and it never gets old for the believer. Believer, you want to live free. Unbeliever, you want to be set free. I want you to interact with this promise in John chapter 3 and verse 16 and what it requires. I'm, I'm going to read it. God's word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, now here's the promise. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do, do Do you want eternal life? In John chapter 3 and verse 16, you have the promise of heaven. And according to the text, according to God's word, according to every translation that exists of God's word in the entire world, according to the text, what is required to initiate the promise on the human heart? Is it fear? Is it futility? Is it works, the flesh? According to this passage of Scripture, it's not fear, it's not futility, it's not self-effort, it's not obedience, it's not works, but it is faith. Believe. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? God never said anywhere in the Bible, if your good works outweigh your bad works, you'll go to heaven. If your bad works outweigh your good works, you'll go to hell. You cannot find that anywhere in God's word. That is what's called man-made Stuff God has only one plan of salvation. See, this is Paul's entire point in Galatians 3. There's, there's one gospel, and we've got to get the gospel right. It's always by promise. It's always by grace. And God's promises and God's grace are to be received through faith. See, that's the good news of Jesus. You don't have to rely on your flesh. You don't have to rely on futility or fear. But you simply put your entire belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And he will wash all of your sins away. This is what sets Christianity apart from every world religion. All other religions are at some level still law-based. Promise, grace, faith, Christ. Getting the gospel right. The Apostle Paul says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed who is Christ. Look at verse 17. Paul says there's these false teachers that want to add. To the simplicity of Jesus. You think you're saved by Jesus plus self-effort. You think you're saved by Jesus plus the works of the law. The Apostle Paul here says, I want to take my argument all the way. Check out verse 17. This is awesome. He says, what I mean is this. God made a promise to Abraham... In 1921 B.C., roughly. That's Galatians 3 and verse 16. And the law, do you see it in verse 17? The law which you think saves you. The Ten Commandments, which you think saves you. Circumcision, which you think saves saves you, wasn't even introduced in the form of law until 430 years later, in 1491 B.C. These things that you think save you weren't even introduced... Weren't even on the scene until 430 years later after God made the promise to Abraham by faith. Even more, Paul says in verse 17, the law... Look look, look at the text. Does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For, verse 18... If the inheritance depends on the law, which it doesn't, but if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on faith, but obedience. But God, in his grace, gave the inheritance to Abraham through faith, through a promise. See, what what the Apostle Paul is doing in verse 17 and 18 is he's making an argument from historical sequence and opposing principle he says look let, let, let me let me let me take my argument all the way he says there's Abraham and there's Moses two epic guys in the Judeo-Christian worldview there's Abraham and there's Moses you think you're saved by the law you think you're saved by self-effort your works your circumcision In fact, I want to throw it out there. What do you think you're saved? How do you think a person gets to heaven? How do you think a person is right with God? How do you think a Christian grows in Christian living? Fill in the blank. Whatever. You think you're saved by fill-in-the-blank. You think you're sanctified by fill-in-the-blank. Never having murdered, the Apostle Paul says, consider this. God made a promise to Abraham 430 years before the Ten Commandments were even given. 430 years before God gave Moses the law, he promised Jesus And and this promise wasn't like a temporary promise, which we're going to see later. The law was temporary. This was a forever promise. It was an eternal promise. It was totally dependent on God. Psalm 105, verse 8 and 9 says, God remembers his covenant with Abraham forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham. Abraham, And that promise, Paul is saying, that covenant required one thing. Promise requires faith and law requires obedience. Law says, if you do this, I can be right with God. Promise says, it's done. It's done. All you have to do is believe in that which is done. Believe in God's promise. Now, don't lose me here. Please, listen. Listen up. Paul's like 430 years before God gave Moses the law, he promised Jesus. And that promise required God's grace. That promise required faith on the human heart. That promise did not require obedience to the Ten Commandments. It didn't require the law or anything written in the law. The Apostle Paul says, when God made the promise of Jesus, it was by grace through faith. And the law which you think saves you wasn't even given until 430 years later. Okay. This was not rehearsed. I need a volunteer. Somebody loud. Somebody, where's Jason? Jason Matthews. Come on, Jay. Hurry up. Hurry up. We don't have all day. I got the flu. All right. I coughed on that microphone. Jason. Give Jason a round of applause. Don't mess this up, Jason. All right. Right? Don't mess this up. Jason, do you know who you are? That's right. You are Moses. Do you know who I am? Abraham. Do you know who they are out there? Uh, Israel. They are lawbreakers. They are lawbreakers. (laughs) They've done some naughty stuff at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Jason, why why don't you tell them? How much, tell, tell them that they're lawbreakers. Uh, you are all lawbreakers. And um, I, Moses, am not pleased. So, Jason, you just got down from the mountain, and that's how you're going to convey that they're, I mean, thunder and lightning. Oh. Let them know. Let them okay. know they're lawbreakers. What have you all done? You lawbreakers. Tell them some of the things that they're doing or they have done. You have built a cow. Why a cow? It's out of gold. You're worshiping it. We don't do that. You've broken this law. You've broken that. You're wearing 12 different types of clothing all at the same time, which the law says only wear one right, All right, all right, Jason. I think they get the point. (laughs) All right. So, Jason, do you know know where I'm standing? That's right. 430 years later, earlier, and I am Abraham, and God has made a promise, and here's the promise. God loves you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of your sins. He loves you so much. I'm going to send my son. And all you have to do is believe, trust in the promise to receive the inheritance, trust in the promise, right, to receive eternal life. 430 years later, here we are. It's like the clashing of Abraham and Moses. And we are nowhere near worthy to be Abraham or Moses, correct? Correct. So what we're going to do is we're going to travel down the timeline, Jason. Not yet. We're going to travel down the timeline. As we're traveling down the timeline, I want you to tell them how filthy, wretch. like this is your time to do hellfire and brimstone, okay? Okay? As we walk, you tell them and then let me say something, and then you can tell them some more and then let me say something. Okay? Let's do it. You all think that you're followers of God and yet you can't even keep his law straight. God loves you and there's a promise you have to depend your life upon. You all claim to be God's holy people, but really you're worse off than the pagans who are in this world. God loves you. I promise I'm going to send your, my son to die on the cross for you. You, for some reason, have twisted the law to meaning that you're getting God's grace when really you're just digging yourself a, a deeper and deeper, hole into despair. God loves you. Now, Jason, do you know where we're at? Well, it was seen that we're at the cross. We're at the cross. Do you know what Romans says about the law on the cross? What's that? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> what does it say, George? It's the boy, it says that when Christ died, do you know what happened to you? The law died. Can you, can you die right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give Jason a round of applause. For if the inheritance depends on the law, which it doesn't, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. See, he's arguing the superiority of the promise as contrasted to the law, which was temporary and died when Christ came. Check out verse 19. We're bringing this to to wrap it up. This is the logical question. Excuse me one second. The Apostle Paul says, well, if we're not saved by the law, if we're not saved by the commandments, check check out this question. Why then was the law given at all? And the Apostle Paul says, it was added because of transgressions. It was at us to show us our sin, to show us how to live, To show us our desperate need of a Savior. What the the Apostle Paul is saying here is, look, look, all the law can do, as Jason demonstrated, is to point the finger. That's all the law can do is is say, sinner, sinner, sinner. That's what the law accomplishes according to the Apostle Paul. We should never look at the Ten Commandments and conclude, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. I don't commit adultery. I don't murder. The Apostle Paul's like, no, 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 no. no. Do you understand the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression to show us our sin, to cause us to rely on the promise of Jesus until, no, until, I, I underlined it, until the seed to whom the promise referred ...had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator on Mount Sinai. See, see the Apostle Paul is, is like, listen, the law is not evil. It's not bad. The law is good. It has, it has a purpose. It gives us the vision of the glory of God. And when you really think about our, our Lord and Savior Jesus, like he, he fulfilled the entire law perfectly and sinlessly. I mean, take any rule in the law. I don't care. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. If you're like, um, want to rely on, on the words of Jesus. I mean, there's so many of them. He's like, look, you, you heard it said, thou shalt not um, murder. But, but the root of murder is, is hatred. And if you've ever experienced hatred on, on your heart, you've committed murder. He's like, take adultery. He's like, you think you're so righteous because you haven't committed adultery? Well, take it down to lust. Who here is not guilty? Take any rule. Don't spill coffee in church. I don't care what rule you take. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Take any rule. Here's what the law can do. And here's what the law can't do. The law can show us how to live our lives. The law can show us our sin. It can show us our desperate need for a savior, but here's what the law cannot do. you got to hear this. It can't change our heart's condition. Like cancer. If I get cancer, God forbid, some of you have gotten news of cancer. Some of you have loved ones that have gotten news for, of, of, of that your loved one has gotten cancer. If I get cancer, the cancer test can't save you. The cancer test can't cure you. All the tests can do is reveal that you and I desperately need a cure. The the Apostle Paul says, likewise, the law can't save us. The law can't cure us. The law simply reveals that you and I are in desperate need of a cure. And the Apostle Paul says, this is why Church of Galatia, this is why Church of Scranton, our faith has to be built on a promise. This is why our faith has to be built on Jesus, because he's the cure. The law simply reveals our desperate condition, but he's the cure, and we're called to trust in God's promise. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35 says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away." Trust me. Psalm 119 and verse 50, 50 says, "Your promises revives me. It comforts me." ...in all of my troubles. God's like the Apostle Paul's like... ...the Holy Spirit's like everybody is like. Trust God's promises. Stand firm on His promises. Let God's promises shine on all of our problems. Let His promises shine on all of our problems... Seize God's promises fearlessly. Spurgeon once said God's promises are longer than life, broader than sin, deeper than the grave, and higher than the clouds. Church, we must continue to hold firm to our declaration of faith. Hope comes. Are you looking for hope? It comes by believing and trusting in the promises of God. The one who made the promise is faithful. Now I'm going to wrap this up with a question. If I get cancer, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, if I get cancer and you have the cure... What is the kindest and most loving and most compassionate thing you can do in my life? If I was dying of cancer and you were the doctor and you knew the cure, wouldn't you want out of love and compassion and grace, wouldn't you want to tell me The cure. I mean, if I had a cancer that was curable, curable, if I had a cancer that was curable, I would want to know what the cure is. And on a human plane, this is like life or death stuff. Even more on a spiritual plane, the Apostle Paul is like, look, look, you might have stage one sin, you might have stage two sin, you have, you know, we like to compare. Do I got stage four? How bad of a sinner? Paul's like, look, I don't care. This is some real life, eternal life, eternal. The law reveals the conditions of our heart. We're all dying. All in need of a cure. The most loving, compassionate, that you can do in my life is to tell me that and give me an opportunity to either reject it or accept it. Believer, out of our love for Jesus knowing that that is the motivation of everything we do in Christian living. Where are we with sharing the cure of Jesus with a lost and helpless world? When was the last time motivated not by guilt, not by works, not by flesh, not by futility? How passionate are we about the cure and the eternal hope for this world is our Savior, Jesus Christ? How do we claim God's unchanging promises for our lives? By grace, through faith in Christ Jesus. I wrote out a little prayer. Here's the truth. This was my prayer to God. God, I have sinned against you. At times in my life, I have sinned against you a little bit. At times in my life, I have sinned against you a lot. But either way, my condition is pretty desperate. And God, I desperately need salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. And when I was 16, Lord, I accepted the promise of Jesus by faith. And God, as a believer, I know I have failed and I have failed and I have failed, but I go back to your promises and I will continue to live by faith, not by futility, not by fear. God, I know I've forgotten your promises. There are so many thousands of them in your, your word. But I'm broken, I'm on my knees, and I'm crying out to you like I did for my salvation. I'm crying out to you, desperate for my sanctification, knowing that, God, one day all of this will be done away in heaven. Right now, God, I am trading fear and flesh and futility for faith in Jesus for my salvation. And Lord, if you, by your grace, have revealed your promise to me, revealed Jesus to me, and I've accepted that by faith, Lord, give me a heart that wants to share that. God, give me a heart. Let me let, Where my faith becomes real, where I want to share that. And I'm not going to live in fear. And I'm not going to live in futility. But I'm going to trust you, God, as I've trusted you when I was 16. And I accepted you as my Savior. Because John chapter 1 and verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the law. And even more, thank you for the cure, because the law glorifies God's grace, exposing our need of it and satisfying it through Jesus. Next week, guys, we'll pick up in the passage where we left off. Let us pray. Lord, I just uh, just pray, God, that we would just be so fed this morning and, 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 and just so centered on, on our hope, um, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for every single person here, Lord. I pray that you would help us um, to live by faith in the promises that you've set before us. And as we go into communion, help us to remember what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.